Here at Making Movies is Hard, we want to express our support for the writer strike. We encourage our filmmaker comrades to look into how best they can be allies for the good fight. Please go to WGACONTRACT2023.org to support the cause. Making movies is hard, but casting for your movie doesn't have to be. With Casting Calls America, you can post your open roles for free in over 30 local markets nationwide. And when you post your roles, they will automatically post to IMDb Pro to get even more eyes on your project. All actor submissions are delivered to your user-friendly dashboard, making your casting process easy. You can even search our actor databases and invite actors you're interested in to audition to your project. Actors pay a small monthly fee and have all open roles delivered to their inbox each day. Get your project started today. It's casting made easy at castingcallsamerica.com. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, DVD, and Tubi. And I'm Eric Toms, writer-director, whose first film, Bakersfield Noir, will be out later this year. This week, we welcome writer-director Juan Felipe Zuleta on the show to talk about his film, Identified Objects, which played Stigis and Fantastic Fest. For those who don't know, Stigis and Fantastic Fest are a couple of the best science fiction film festivals in the world, and the film is out now on all platforms. Juan talked about how he made the film during the pandemic and what drew him to writing this really interesting story. After that, we play another round of the game. But first, Eric, how are you doing, sir? I'm very good, thank you. We are recording this July 5th, so yesterday was the 4th of July, and I had such an all-American kind of like sweet 4th of July in my complex. They, the, the kids and parents like all get together, and there's like a little parade, and people sing songs, and the kids ride around on their bikes and things like that, and then we grilled hot dogs. Some vegetarian hot dogs, because one of my sons is a vegetarian. And then that night, my other son is in the Boy Scouts, and so we went to a flag ceremony, and then we hung out like on this big lawn in this um, at, at a college, and there was just um, probably about a thousand people, and they had food trucks, and then they had a fireworks show, and the kids played with their friends, and my wife and I hung out, and it was just a blast. We had a really, really good time. So uh, I'm in I'm in great spirits today. Any a, 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 any update on your movie that you can share? Any news on Bakersfield Noir? Yeah, so color correction is all done. So I've QC'd that. The the music is all done. The I actually... So people who don't know, I directed it. I wrote it. I starred in it. I did the wardrobe. I built the props. Like, I did everything. I did... This is a very... I, I No doubt, I had a ton of people help me. But this is very much like my movie and after a while, especially starring in something, watching myself over and over got to be so difficult that when it came to QCing the sound design, I literally hired a buddy of mine. I'm like, I can't watch me in this movie again. Can you please watch the sound design and just make sure that it wow. sounds. So anyway, that is uh, everything's all done. And now we're at the point now everything just has to be sent off to the sound mixer and then the editor to, for assembly and we're finished. So we are, we are moments away. From, from Bakersfield Noir being done. Amazing. Congratulations again. So exciting to be in the stage you're at where it's just like it's almost done and you're really getting ready to share it with the world. So cool. I will see. I don't the, the I love being on set like that is my happiest place. Like if I could be on set, we interviewed somebody quite a while ago or you guys interviewed somebody quite a while ago and uh, her goal as a filmmaker was to be on set like four times a year and I think that's kind of like one of mine as well like if I could I love being on set and like 
being with actors and directing and all of the stuff. I like all of that stuff. Everything else always feels like I'm trying to get back there. Are you, what are, are you like that? Do you want to, I don't know, like be in the shit? Or, uh, <laughs> or do you want to just be like in the edit bay and like kind of like, oh, okay, cool. Let's check out what we got. I, God, no, I don't like being in the shit. <laughs> I, I'm not as much like <laughs> adverse to it as Liz is. Like where, you know, that's like one of her least favorite parts she's said before that she just really wants to get into the, like she likes the writing and the editing and, and all that. I, I like being on set and I like, you know, creating the magic, but it's so like the first time it was so stressful for me that like, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm wondering what it'll be like next time. But yeah, I, I think I like it the most when I'm like, when I have the idea and it's being built and assembled. Yeah. And, and then I think more than that, I like it when I know it's good and that I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is actually something that we can, we can go out and make because then it gets exciting to go make it. But I think my favorite part, which is also the most stressful part too, or well, not the most stressful, but like being in editing is fun because it's like you get to see what you have like a puzzle you put together you know you you make it all work you you see what you have and like what pieces if you need any pieces or if you have all the pieces like i think you know building the story in the edit is really a fun part for me and making it all make sense but yeah i feel like i need to make more movies to really know like what i feel about the the onset process of shooting a feature because like i I made a lot of shorts and like in the first short i was stressed out second short i was pretty stressed out by the third and fourth or fifth shorts, I was like, yeah, this is cool. Like, all right, yeah, rock and roll, <laughs> make it a short. We're in a bar right now. Oh, this is awesome. We get to like shoot this stuff. We're going to do a sexy naked. Oh, cool. That's fun. <laughs> you know, like, this. it was like, it was more like I didn't have like this insane amount of pressure or like feeling like, oh my gosh, like, I really need to like make this perfect as I did on the first two shorts. And then I feel like I felt that way on the first feature in a really, really big, overwhelming way. And so I feel like the next one, I'm excited to like maybe have a feeling where I am not as stressed out and I'm not like putting so much weight on myself. And I'm more like just enjoying being in the moment because like, you know, the journey is what we get out of making our films. Like if you're doing this for any goal oriented reasons or like trying to like have your movie do a thing in the world or get mm-hmm. you to a place in your career. Like, I feel like you're just going to be disappointed most likely, <laughs> but, but if you True. go, go yeah. on making it and, and just enjoy the process of making it and then like enjoy having the, the thing, the, the piece of art that you did, I think that is like where it's at, you know? So I'm, I'm basically trying to find that more for myself and yeah, it's hard to answer like whether or not, the onset part is where does that fit in that? Is that my favorite part? My least favorite part? It's probably somewhere in the middle, to be honest. Really? Yeah. I just, I always love being, I love uh, being on set because I feel like this is where, for, well, for me, because I, because I have an acting background, I, I kind of feel most comfortable there. I also enjoy writing, but writing is just so solitary. And it's great because you can complete a thing, you know, like when you're when you're an actor, you need 10 other people in order to get everyone together in order to do something. When you're writing, you just need you, which is very satisfying. Yeah. But I'm uh, I'm a I'm an extroverted person. I'm outgoing. I, I love to kind of I love to make stuff. And I feel like doing that's what's best on set is when you're making things. And I am I feel least comfortable when it comes to tech. And so whenever it comes to editing, I am capable of editing. I am not fast at it at all, 
which gets me really frustrated. Like in order for me to make a small cut, it usually takes a a while. And I want to sit with somebody. And also I feel like, you know, editing is such an art. It's not just about like the timing, but it's like, oh, we can cut from this one and we can tape this here and paste it here. And I I feel like they're uh, the next film that I do. I really want to, I would like to nail down, uh, you know, just a solid editor before we even roll cameras. Well, before we do anything else, like, you know, is have them be a part of the team going into the whole thing as opposed to an afterthought. Yeah. Because I am just feel so I, I feel like a, a, a bit lost at sea when it comes to when it comes to editing. Like, yeah. I know what I want, but I think getting those things, I, I, I don't feel nearly as capable. Yeah. I feel like that's always the best to like if you can get your crew together before you shoot to even all the post team, like it's just going to be a better mm. process, you know, like including the editor the composer, maybe not the colorist is not as as important, but like, you know, visual effects supervisor, mm-hmm. like all those people, like I think are really helpful to have before you shoot because then you can, you know, shoot in a way that is going to set you up for success in post, you know, which is like really, sure. really helpful, you know. And if you want to set yourself up for success, don't forget to support our show on Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash MMIH podcast. This way, you know, we support the show. It, it pays for our editor. It is a fantastic way to also communicate with us. So if you want to get anything on the air, it is a very real possibility, if, especially if you do it via Patreon. And for just $1.99 a month, you can get all of our back episodes, which at this point, how many are back there? What, we got over 300? Yeah, I think it's um, 350 right now that are back. 350? My gosh, that is a lot for just $1.99 a month. And don't forget to check out Jambox.io, which is a new royalty-free sound effects company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. Their composers have worked with on soundtracks for Hollywood-level films, working with directors like Michael Bay and Martin Scorsese, or global brands like DJI. They even offer customized plans to fit your needs, which is pretty darn awesome. So without any more delay, here's our chat with Juan Felipe Zuleta. We are here with writer-director Juan Felipe Zuleta of the movie Unidentified Objects. Welcome to the show, Juan. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Alric. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's just go for the first question. Give us your elevator pitch for Unidentified Objects. Elevator pitch. Okay. Unidentified Objects is a road trip movie between two misfits who meet in New York City one day. And one of them convinces the other to go to the north of Canada because in three day time, she's going to a supposedly alien abduction. Wow. How many days did you shoot the film? Total of 19 days. Nice. Same for my first feature. (laughs) What was the rough budget, if you can say at all? Or give us a range or something. Let's say under 500. Okay, nice. Now, how did this project come about? Like, you know, I know you wrote it, but did you originate the story? Did you get it from another script? How did the whole thing come about? So actually, I have a writing partner. His name is Leland Frankel. He's, I would say, the main writer of the script, even though we both have like a writing story by credits and stuff. He... And I met eight years ago. We've been working together a long time. And I pitched him an idea of a little person lead who's like this very like character that we wanted to explore. And and once actually this is a project that came to life with the pressures of COVID, everything around COVID. And like we were unemployed, feeling depressed with a lot of stuff. And it kind of like we we like that little sense of escapism was kind of coming to us. So we took that sketch of a little person character. Uh, which uh, our, our lead is a little person. And we very quickly started finding the, the through line of this story. 
And we like science fiction, but I wouldn't say we want to make only science fiction. It's, this is more of a genre bending kind of story. So that's kind of like Leland and I started like writing a treatment. And soon after, within like two weeks, three weeks, we had the first draft of the screenplay because we weren't doing anything else except write and write and write and develop it. So, so it was actually the fastest project we've ever developed. Amazing. So you kind of already answered this question partly, but I'll just ask it again. How long did you spend working on the film from like when you guys had that first like writing session and you churned out the script in two weeks to it coming out and being released? Well, coming out and being released three years, but inception of the screenplay to, or of the idea to f- production, like three months. It's crazy. Whoa, like, whoa, yeah. wow. Three yeah. months. Yeah. Holy shit, dude. Crazy. It was it was a timing thing because I had a crew of people who love the idea, a group of friends who are producers and partners and they are like all part of the of our gang of like our team. We were like, guys, we all have available this month. We're shooting the movie then. And we already had like the first draft of the of the or, or like the first idea, the first treatment. So within those two and a half months, we had to like complete the screenplay, finish casting and 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 re- like raise the financing to shoot it. And that's precisely what we did. One thing though, even before when we were when we knew we were gonna tell this little person character, we knew we were gonna make the movie. So we were already casting the little person. So that was the first I started casting before I had a script, pretty much. I started like looking for actors. Wow. And that actually and and once we found our lead, he became kind of part of the writing process in that sense. Wow, amazing. So many questions. If you could change one thing about the film, whether it be like something that was in the process or something about the final picture, like some story or, you know, whatever it is, what would that one thing be? I would have a little bit of more money to afford two songs that I really wanted to put in the movie, which I think eventually when I have more money, I'm just going to pay them myself because there's two songs <laughs> that are very important. Uh, even though I think the movie, I mean, there's a festival cut where we do have rights for those songs. It's just for the distribution uh, cut. I couldn't afford it, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. but there are there are Roy Orbison crying and Electric Light Orchestra Telephone Line and those that cut. Yeah, th- those two songs in those in that scene where that plays is very powerful. That being said, this the, the movie you wouldn't even notice. Obviously, that's a director thing. And maybe like, I don't know, like a little bit of more money in post-production just in, and maybe even production. But I mean, I don't regret anything else like that. Like I, I'm, I feel very proud of the project that I did and I gave my, you're speaking my language. It's like two of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> but yeah. you know, I feel like your movie's still probably, you know, equally awesome without those songs, but yeah, I, I can, I can feel you that those would be ones that I would definitely want to put in for the right moment in a movie. Yeah. All right, dude. First question. How the hell did you raise? the money in three months and and talk talk about your process and how you did that all right so originally before we shot we wrote this screenplay i was gonna make a short film and that short film i had an investor my, my good friend and producing partner called juan sebastian jaimes based in new york he gave me he would say hey i love your work i'm gonna give you 10 15k for your project because i want to be part of it and i was like very blessed to have anybody believe in me and give me their money. As a filmmaker, we know that's almost impossible. Yeah. So 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 once it was my first investor, and then I said, okay, I'll put a little bit of my money so that we have we were aiming for like a 30, 40k short to do it well. And and Leland, my writing partner, was gonna put a little bit more. 
Once we, the, I wrote the short film, I realized it was going to be like 60, 70K if I wanted to do it right. Just because it was a sci-fi building set. It was a little bit ambitious. It was really ambitious. It was like the most ambitious short film I've ever written. And I was like, okay, I don't know what we should do. And then my right, my, my cinematographer friend told me, if you're going to do like a feature, a short film, just do a low budget feature, just fucking go and do a low budget feature. So I was like, you know what? You're right. Let's, let's do that. So we pivoted. Now we're knowing that we had 40K. And, and and guess what? Once you have money, money is a magnet. Money is like a little bit of a magnet. That's one of the things I learned. So we, the good thing is we had Masha, one of our producers, once uh, uh, the other producer, and, and, and we structured the company for the feature film in a really organized way because my one of our mentors, this guy called Adam Piotrowicz, who's the guy who did Her Smell or like a queen, a queen of Earth, all the early Elizabeth Moss, Alex Rosperi movies that were ultra low oh. before Elizabeth Moss was big. This is like New York filmmakers we're talking about. Adam had like all the steps and all the know-how, how to like structure a low budget project. First, don't hire lawyers because they're going to get like, mm-hmm. you say, to hire lawyers. But he said, look, I have all this legal packet that lawyers from other projects give us use this. So we had all the contracts you possibly could need and we just edit them for our purposes. So that was like one, we were super organized. We created an LLC. We created a, a, a like we, we opened a bank account. We opened, we deposited our money in the bank account, the money we had. We, we uh, did all the transfer rights all within like a week or two because we were like, we got to get this done this is this is everything so we keep pushing 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 once we had that we created some pitch documents so my my we created like a like a deck which every filmmaker would create we did it really quickly we had a, a clear idea of the feature and i started and i and i started reaching out first to friends and family and and i reached out to a buddy of mine who went to nyu with me i went i graduated at nyu which is like a another story and i literally i told him hey i have 40k i'm shooting a 150k feature film i need you to give me money because at first it was like i'm doing an ultra money i need 150 like and even though for some filmmakers that's a lot of money for others, that's not a lot. For me, 150 was like, I can pull it off, a really high quality feature with that. That's what I thought, right? My buddy, basically, long story short, he said, okay, I'll, I'll invest a little bit. And he gave us some money. And he and, and all of a sudden, we had like 70K. Wow. And, I, and I needed, my goal was to hit 95 to start production. But at that point, when you open a credit card with, with Chase for a business, they give you a one-year line of credit with where you don't have to pay interest. So we, I was like, worst case scenario, I'll keep raising money as I shoot the movie. So they gave us a credit card. We, we, and, 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 and soon after I, I called a few more people and there's one person that we had met, my writing partner had met on a, on a, on a brunch in LA via Zoom. You know, during COVID people were doing like Zoom brunches. Oh, yeah. So this guy, uh, a really now is like our producer. He's like a really good friend of ours, and like we work with him in a lot of projects. This guy called Chad, Chad, very talented, very, very, very genius. He's a he's a first AD, a DGA first AD for like uh, like studio shows. So he's worked in like like a few Amazon shows, etc. And and he and he became friends with Leland via this, and and we reach out to him and say, hey, we're looking for people who want to invest in an indie feature. This is our work. This is our script. This is everything. And he was like, like, don't look any further. I'm interested. I want to invest. 
Chad became our biggest investor. Soon after, we had hit the 100K, like within two weeks, 100K plus mark. And then we had my my uh, my brother, who's a compo- like a, who was a composer. He made the score of the movie and uh, like his wife, they invested a little bit more. And, and like that, although I, I started raising the money and, and, and we were surprised that we wow. were hitting 140, but it was pure will, pure passion and knocking at every single door with every single person we met. But we were buckled up. We had like a really strong pitch. We had a really strong deck. The story was simple. We had a really good production plan. We had a good, like everything was done in a, in a small scale, but we were making a really big movie in our hearts. So we wanted to make sure that people who perceived that we weren't fucking around, you know what I mean? Yeah, man, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really true. Like once you have a little money, it does really help a lot. You know, the fact that you had that little base to start with um, and then you were able to build on it so quickly. That's like, you know, amazing. And by the way, we went over budget very quickly. And, I went, and, and I'll tell you the truth. We spent almost $50,000 on COVID tests. Wow. Because we started shooting pre-vaccine. So we had to follow the exact protocols. And those were fucking expensive so much more expensive yeah. than we anticipated and but we didn't want to break those protocols when we understood the safety and and and, and it was a, a really safe set it was one of the first if not the first project to be greenlit by sag after on the east coast nice. after the began so it's so kind of like we were kind of like jumping into the abyss in some ways and and but we wanted to do it as safe as it could possibly be done because as every filmmaker knows no matter the budget, safety is always priority. Like that's the number one thing. Nobody should get hurt or sick or anything because you're making a movie. Yeah. So, so the good news is nobody got hurt and nobody got sick during the entire production and post-production of unidentified objects, which is nice. something I feel super proud of because we were hearing of like Mission Impossible getting shut down and like all these other big movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, what it probably helps that you guys are a lot smaller too, right? You know, and that you were able to keep yeah. it contained. Like when you get to like a 200 person crew, 150 person crew or whatever they oh. have, like, it's like, what the fuck? You know, like, how hard is that going to be? <laughs> and you know, that's when we wrote the script, we had that in mind because, nice. because we made it a road trip movie where we could be like, let's get the fuck out of the city. And let's go and shoot this movie in a place where there's no COVID cases, where we can literally seclude ourselves and go and make this road trip film. So we went to the middle of nowhere, Maine, like like, and and we we did a like a very specific plan. They we're shooting the whole movie in this sixty mile radius, and we're gonna find this base, and we're gonna shoot everything in this base, and and we found like a really nice lakeside motel that was like the everybody wanted to be part of this movie because like wait, you're leaving New York and you're going to a motel in the middle of like the woods. Where I can jump into a lake after shooting. I want to be part of this movie. You know, you know what I mean. So it's kind of created like a really cool environment where we build a family. And I think that is one of the things that I feel like why the movie works and it's good is because everybody was putting pouring their hearts and like everybody wanted to be part of this team and everybody wanted to tell this story. So you talked about casting the movie, especially for your lead, for your little person before you even finished writing the script. So I want to hear about that process. Like, how did you go about finding that really, really important lead character role? So we opened, knocked every door. So we, we posted it on Breakdown Express, Actors Access. We reached out to some agencies that focus on disability actors. And, and I think that's kind of where we had the most hits is like those agencies and those organizations that, that are arts for disability and, and people because they... Like, guess what? Like, no surprise to anybody. There's no little people leads out there except like Peter Dinklage. And he's like, he's the exception. He's like the exception. Like, there's no other actor. And he's the exception because of Game of Thrones. 
like blew up and make him like this meteoric rise. But but for everybody else, there's no lead role. So once we put the project out there, it's there was like wildfire. Like a lot, nice. lot of these disability communities started spreading the news. It was much easier to to find people because people were telling people, and we auditioned a big chunk of the disability little people actors in English speaking territories. So we auditioned from like people in the UK to the, uh, Australia and, and stuff like that. And it was like a very fulfilling process. There's so much talent out there. And but 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 thank God we got like like Matthew was the lead actor. We once we saw his uh, first tape, we were like, I mean, this guy is so good. So you also talked about how he actually ended up helping you with the writing of the movie. Can you talk about how you collaborated with him as a writer as well as an actor? Yeah. So obviously, like, and this is my my belief. I mean, about when it comes to like disability and like my and, like stories about people who are not necessarily you. And and I know there's like gray areas and there's conversations and debates. My, where I stand when it comes to that, it's kind of like, I don't, I like the main character is a little person. I don't have that experience and Leland hasn't, doesn't have that experience. Neither of us have ever been or understand that experience in an honest way. So we have a lot of questions and we have a lot of, and so we, you can do your research, but there's no better research than talking to somebody who's part of your team and who knows all of that. And for us, it was very important that Matthew felt that this felt like his project and his character as well, because because there's like a, a layer of authenticity that you cannot unlock and honesty that you cannot unlock that. I mean, you can get close if you have if you do a lot of research and you like the research the community good enough, but you're never going to unlock that level of honesty and authenticity and experience that are like a person who lives through that really has. Like think about Tangerine, like when like uh, like Sean Baker did that movie. He was he was very much surrounded with a bunch of that like transgender community for for a couple of months, and that, and he was able to like like absorb a lot of the ways in which these people inhabit. We wanted to kind of like do something similar with the character of Peter. So so for us was we were not only casting an actor, we wanted casting a creative partner. And and for me it was massively important that it felt like his project. And that it didn't feel like he was just like working for us or that if he was like a consultant or something, it was like, this is your movie and you're coming in to be part of our team. And if somebody has locked pictures, him and I, you know what I mean? Like, like, I want to make sure that, and that really empowered Matthew to like bring his A game and bring his best and bring his life and pour everything to this character and to this story. And again, as I think is my belief on directing and, and storytelling is like, especially in cinema. It is an art form, but it's not a collaborative art form. And you want to make sure you unlock genius within every collaborator around you. And you want to make sure you unlock the best. And, and, and that's kind of what I wanted to make sure I did with this relationship. So not only because of authenticity, but also because I think there's like a, a level of honesty, but also like you bring the, be- you, you bring the best out of him when you, when you make it like that. Nice. Amazing. What were some of the things that, that he brought to the story that weren't in the story beforehand? Like, are there, can you give some examples of things that were kind of infused into it? I think we, he crossed the line. Like there's a scene where the, his character gets naked and there's a, and that's like a very delicate subject matter where you want, want to make sure that that is, that is shot or filmed with that most respect and it's done in a way that, so, so like when you're developing those kinds of scenarios, like he's the kind of, he's the person who came to us, like I originally wasn't naked, but he was like, he has to get naked because this is the, the this is the, what the story is about is about, 
It's about who is a human being. What makes a like like we are all like it's kind of like finding your own humanity, accepting who you are. And there, and there's this very strong scene that is very powerful in the movie. There's other scenes where there's bullying, let's say. There's bullying happening in different parts. People like treating little people with utmost disrespect, which is their personal experience. Like that, this happens to the disability community very often, especially little people in their real lives. So I can come up with an idea of how that is, but Matthew has had that experience in very specific ways. So he... So just giving us permission to use certain words or 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 adding some of that sparkling into like certain things that that those are just two examples and in general I do I do feel like the story has like a self awareness to it of like this character is sarcastic about his own experience and it comes I would give a lot of that credit to Leland because he he's like a genius genius writer and I feel very lucky to collaborate with him but but also Matthew unlocking us and saying yes you can you can make that joke it's okay you know what I mean that's you can go in that direction and there's no because that's honest that's truthful that's how our experience is so so in in some ways it's kind of like somebody who is giving you the right safeguard or opening the gates for creativity and as opposed to like and 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 it gives you like a good sp- safe space where you can really work on the character and and without and 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 knowing that you're taking care of because you're coming from a place of honesty and authenticity and he has had that experience so i think it unlocked creativity in an interesting way so you said earlier that like you know when you were writing this project it was you know you knew that you wanted it to be about a little person you know but where did that come from was there like a, a reason like in your life that, that that connected to that or was it just something that you thought would be interesting like just talk about that a little bit actually so listen i'm, I'm an immigrant i live in the u.s and and i so i took a lot of classes about like like latino representation in hollywood and in cinema i took a lot of classes of like minority representation in hollywood and in cinema because i was just interested in to see like that and i learned so much like i like i learned so much and one particular community, and, and you can see, like, sorry, and you can see the evolution of, like, LGBTQ stories, queer stories. You can see the evolution of Black stories and how before, like, in the 30s, they were portrayed in very, like, demeaning ways. And all of a sudden, how that has little by little evolved. And now you have, like, a Black Panther where they're, like, super, like, you know, you, you can see how that is constantly being evolved with different minorities in in storytelling. And it's, there's still a long way to go. And it's same with the Latino drug dealer, right? Like the, the Latino like like cartel member or the or the or the hitman. Like that's like most of John Leguizamo's characters throughout his career have been that. But there's one particular community that I it caught my attention and I read this in a book and I was studying it in film school, which is like the little people community have always been and they are still are being most of the roles are being written for them are like elves, monsters, freaks, the the mis- like the freak show. Literally that they, they haven't passed that. Like that's still the the they're like these like the like oh that you're a little you're playing the monster, you're playing this, you're playing that. And and it kind of like I was shocked to realize that nobody's talking about that and that is especially in a world in a world where it has become so self-aware about all of these things and this is like 20 we're talking 2015 where i was having like this kind of like like moment of like wow i i i am shocked that and and you start looking even at directors that we love like david lynch and who uses a lot of little people character and they are they're like the little like like freak show in some of these like 
and 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 even like Scorsese, Wolf of Wall Street, where they literally they're, they're being thrown in a cannon and all of that, and it's kind of like okay, yeah, I understand, but you're not giving like most of the roles, like ninety nine percent of these roles are literally like they're like the joke, and and that was something that really touched me in a in a in a in in, in an emotional way when I was then, and I wrote like this piece. What if we explore a character that's a little person who's interesting, who's like different, who's like has a personality. He doesn't have to be nice. He doesn't have to be kind. But what if it's somebody who is a human being would treat him like a normal like hero in a, or, an, or a normal character in any movie? And I had that written down since college, like that kind of idea. Wow. And obviously when COVID hit and we and everything kind of changed for so many people and everybody helped, felt a lot of loneliness and helplessness and all of this, like that story came to the surface. And I say, if there's any co- member of the community who's felt like that throughout their lives, it's like this character. And that kind of like propelled the story. And 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 so, so that's kind of where it came from. Nice. Amazing. So this is probably a redundant question, but I'm just curious, like, you know, you, you talked about the importance of writing the story and, and like why you wanted it to be the story that it is. But what was one of the most important aspects like of the story of the film that you wanted to make sure that you got right when you made the movie? That's a good question. And I don't think I've answered it, but let me let me give you my best. There, there's a, there, this is like a layered question. I can give you many layers of what matters to me. Right. But I think at the top, I think it's a story of empathy about two characters who are who are misfits who inhabit liminal spaces, meaning they don't have a place in the world. They don't belong. They don't have a community. And one, it's kind of like getting to put yourself in the shoes of these two people in a fun, entertaining, different way and and trying to understand, like, we live in a world where there's so much division, there's so much hate, there's so much people like pulling in different directions, but there's so little empathy and understanding. So the character of Peter, which is a little person character, and Winona, which is a a sex worker, which again, is another kind of like minority in, in the world right now they are complete opposites within themselves and in this story they build an unexpected friendship and relationship so for me i feel like exploring that um and and just showing how you can like always no matter how lonely you feel in the world you can always find somebody who is unlike you and very different you can always build that common ground that you both are human beings and you can find that thing of like you've both gone through a lot you've both have gone through problems and 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 it's kind of like just building a little bit of more of that. I I I'm going in a in a in a in a role like but but that's kind of like it's a story. It's a love letter to misfits and outsiders, and it's kind of like a, a, like a project that I wanted to make sure that people who feel lonely or people who feel that they don't have a place in the world know that there is a place in the world. And I, and I think that's why the title Unidentified Objects is not only talking about aliens in space. But it's talking about aliens in our world, in our in our planet, and there's so many of them out there. Amazing. What was one of the biggest obstacles you faced in in telling the story? Is it is it is it just simply to make sure that you that came across, or were there other obstacles that you were facing when you tried to get this move when you were actually on set, like doing the shoot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, listen, this movie was so hard. Like any filmmaker out there who's ever made an indie film or is ever like, it's so, so challenging to shoot and get the shots that you need and get the performances that, and they get the location and get the tone and get, and get all of that, especially when you have like a, a shoestring budget. And, and on top of that, one of the toughest things is like every day, every other day we were testing for COVID and we were getting like the results. And that was nerve wracking. That was nerve wracking because it's kind of like, at any moment, all of these investments, we would put like credit cards, we would put our own savings, we would put so much, 
can vanish and we don't have a safety net that is going to grab us. We don't have a studio backing us. We're like, this is it. So it's kind of like the stakes were so high and yet we were showing up because we all felt we were doing something singular and something that mattered. So, and when I say every day was hard, it's like, there's a day where we had to, we needed a picture car and we, we rented it from somebody and we were shooting in the middle of nowhere, Maine. And the person never showed up. And that's like the whole day out of 19 was built around that. And we paid them, the person, they never came. Wow. So it's like that, those kinds of problems where you have to have like your, your producers get a car and run and start knocking in homes of farms in the middle of nowhere and saying, hey, we, we, we have this cash. Can we rent your car for, for like six hours or seven hours? And just literally convincing people as we have a crew on a road that we closed and we're paying police. <laughs> Per the hour and we don't have a lot of money and all of these things kind of like pile on each other like problem after problem after problem but it's kind of that's the beautiful thing about indie cinema it's like you there's always a way out there's always a way in which you can find a solution and 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 sometimes that solution is even better than the original idea and it's kind of like maintaining that attitude of like it's gonna be okay and no matter how hard it is it's still a creative process and there's always a solution how does that affect you when you're like directing a movie and like something like that happens like did you get like really stressed out like what did you do in the moment to keep yourself productive when you're when you're basically told that you have to wait until this miracle occurs before you can continue making your movie like what do you how do you handle that inter- internally and then what do you do with the time cuz it's not helpful for you to run around with the producers like what what do you do in those moments I go back to the page I go back to the time that I have I think about how I can tell this story in the most efficient way I I have a it, it, like there's a moment of clarity you know, I I pursue that clarity and I start making my scenarios and, and like the time and my time management I go to my first ID which by the way this is the first time this first ID was the first ID in a feature but it it wasn't I wouldn't say on paper the right person for any project but it was the right person for this project because they were ready to help me solve the problems and go back and look at the schedule of the entire week and see, okay, how can we start playing Tetris? How can we start? If I have something to shoot, I'll shoot. Like if there's something right there that I can shoot, I'll shoot. That being said, I'm not just going to do that for the sake of doing that. I need to make sure that it works, that I'm not just spent like wasting people's energy on something that I very likely am not going to use. So it comes to like, Sometimes it's better to take a step back, take 30 minutes of your day, sit down, breathe, relax, manage the anxiety, pull up the script or pull up the paper, talk, bring your head to the apartments and start making the scenarios of like, in, it's literally like on war, like, or whatever that is. It's like, this is the cases. This is how life is punching us in the face and we're going to punch, punch back. But these are the things that we can do. So, so like usually in those moments, I, I, I try to like not go at it like, like crazy, but just breathe, calm everybody down, know that everything is going to be okay. And if there's something we can shoot, we'll plan for that. If there's not something we can shoot, uh, but, but always, even if I don't have 30 minutes to take back, if I have 10, I'll still try to pause because I feel like that is massively important is to be present to breathe and to not let panic or anxiety take over and and i've seen it happen in many sets and it's chaos and 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 for me i think that's the biggest job of a director of a filmmaker in general is to manage that anxiety either because you're solving a problem or because you're dealing with an actor or where or because both and you have to deal with egos or budget constraints and all of this is 
stop, breathe, and try to be the adult person in the room. Try to and 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 ultimately know the story so well that you know you'll have find the answer. So just on a personal note, like when I made my first feature, I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress because I had written it for eight years or seven years or something like that. And like, you know, it was all my energy. I was putting all this pressure on myself. Like this is going to be like the thing. It has to be perfect or as perfect as it can be. And I had a lot of anxiety specifically around like going over and going late and missing, not making my days. I'm just curious, like, did you have similar concerns and and how did you manage making your days? And did you make all your days? Did you go over? Did you have to cut scenes? Talk, talk about like how you process that. I have so much fear and anxiety making this movie. <laughs> I, I can relate 100%. <laughs> okay. I, knew, I knew it was my job to, man- to keep it at bay because I knew the, the, the difference between the way I reacted towards that and the way I didn't was going to determine the success of the project. So I'll say, I'll tell you this, there's, there's multiple days where I had to change and pivot. So, so one day, which is this, this, this car day where we had this, I knew it was going to be a really hard day from before. So we budgeted for like two days filming in that location. So I knew I was going to be back and having an extra day is always like a rainy check, a rain check. It's what? Obviously the second day, these are the miracles of cinema that sometimes happen. I was lucky and it was an overcast day. We didn't have to put that many lights and we were able to just bam, 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 and shoot much faster because we didn't have to move lights because it was perfectly lit. It was like all even cloudy day. We were always fighting the rain, but it wasn't too much rain. So we were always like in that moment where it could literally pour and maybe it did for like like 30 minutes, but we were always keeping, like we were lucky that in that sense. But wow. but it is, I tried to plan for that. Uh, there was another day where the, let's say my scene was, three like three and a half pages what they call a big scene i had to go take the script and say what, what is why am i making this fin scene circle the things that i needed to shoot them pull out the camera and shoot them and like like focus on those things and i knew i wasn't going to be able to shoot the whole thing but but that's the thing about a feature which is the risky part is yes you can miss something and it can really fuck you but at the same time there's ways in which you can get away with it with less and like that relationship with less is more because because yeah, there's there's a lot of scenes that I had to like edit and and on set and like think about how how I had, but but I was never editing with the idea of like, oh my god, I'm compromising in the whole feature film. I was more on the idea of like, what is the piece of the puzzle that I absolutely need to tell this? Like, what is the thing that I need? And and if I maybe I'm not gonna get exactly what is on the page, which I really wish I could, but I'm not. That's the reality. I'm not. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to compromise here. This, it's not gonna be perfect. But how do I make it perfect? How do I make sure that I get that right reaction? How do I make sure that I get that r- like right line of dialogue? How do I maybe sometimes I would just open the scene if something wasn't working because the actor the scene wasn't like written in a way that worked. And the, then I would go back and go to my actors and be like, okay, let's open the scene a little bit. Let's improvise and let's let's take it in this direction. And the and the and the, that it goes to like my one number one thing is know the story good enough, like so well that you can you know what part of the story you're telling and what the what is the most important thing. There's always one thing that is more important than anything else. There's always one maybe you cannot get that crazy stunt, but there's one thing that you need to get that if you get that, you have a movie. If you don't get it, you're fucked. And there's two trust, trust. Make sure people trust you and make sure you trust people surround yourself with people who love the idea that of what you and build like a a team where everybody trusts you so that when you pivot they know 
we trust you, let's do it. There's no, because if, if there's no trust on a movie set, that's a formula for wasting time and burning and all of this. And, and listen, I was so lucky. I don't know how I knew this before I made my first feature, maybe because I, that this, maybe this is like a reflection that, that maybe this was a piece of advice somebody told me, or, or I don't, I actually don't remember exactly, but those two things I think saved me in many scenarios because because I was able to realize that making a movie is not this exact thing. It's not like an architect that is building a house and has to build a, like there's something more fluid about cinema and filmmaking. I'm talking too much, but I, I would say those are the things. But I, I was afraid and, and scary and I didn't sleep and I lost so much weight making this movie because I was like not eating and I, there was a lot of stuff. But I don't know, I, 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 I'm, I feel very blessed that I also have like a really good team of collaborators who believed in the project, believed in me and gave their best. And and they had we all had the same alignment. Like we all wanted nice. to play a movie. Amazing. So I'm just curious, do you have any kind of representation? And did you have it when you started making the movie or did it come later? Or is it just as a no all across the board? So when I made the movie, I didn't have representation. I don't have an agent. I have a manager. I have two managers. When I I never really looked for representation. I never was like actively saying, oh, I'm going to go and meet my rep. There was a point where I finished my film where I realized, and this is important to know, this industry has gatekeepers. That's the reality. It's everybody should be aware of everybody should know it and and nobody should be acting as if there weren't there are there are real gatekeepers who are who are in some ways keeping like certain things that you want as a filmmaker certain opportunities certain things locked so part of what i what when i realized management would be helpful is when i realized i needed to unlock those doors like oh i have a movie the movie is getting good traction it's getting good pr it's getting into festivals it's doing all of this but like, how do I go and make my my next meetings for my next scripts? Like, it's just, it's, you're not gonna email a production company and be like, some people do, some people have success. I tried that, I'd never had success just emailing, oh, I wanna show them. So so with the way I found my managers, I was able to talk to a few managers and I went with these managers. And the reason was because they believed in me and my writing partner and, and they wanted to see our next movie come to life. And I think it's very important, at least when you're starting your career. By the way, a lot of people talk shit about their managers managers i only talk good things these guys are fucking amazing like they are really they're they, especially because they are real and they actually put in the work and they actually believe in their project and and if they believe in the project doesn't matter like don't look for like a boutique big age or like a big famous agency those people unless you're like a big actor or a big director they don't give a fuck they're looking they're looking for other things you want to find people who are going to build you and who are interested in building momentum with you that's what managers are for now, agents are, at least in my perspective, they're ones you have build enough momentum, they're going to help you make more money and negotiate better deals and things like that. I don't have an agent yet. I'm not interested in an agent. I think when the time comes, I'll like, I'm sure I'll have one. And, and I know there's like, we've, there's been a few meetings here and there, but like not interested. I'm not like, I'm, I want to focus on the work and the managers have helped because they've unlocked doors. And some of those doors have opened more doors. So it's kind of like, oh, wait, remember when we talk about gatekeeping, they're helping me unlock that. And, 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 and that's for me, one of the main, main reasons why managers, especially at the right time for me, I came, it came after I finished the movie, like literally after when I like at the end of the process. And you talked about like, you met with a few different managers, like how did those meetings come across? Was it like after you'd played Stigis and, and Fantastic Fest? Like, you know, when, 
And and how did the door open to have the meetings with the managers? Like, was it because of the film festivals or were there other reasons? So I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. The managers that I have right now, I met at a random, the most random party at Sundance. And I went to Sundance precisely because, and this is a good advice for any filmmaker out there, film festivals like Sundance are like, there are going to be some filmmakers that are going to tell you, oh, I only go there when I have a movie there. But no, everybody, a lot of the industry goes to Sundance. And everything is happening in one street. So obviously it's hard. It can be expensive. Just get rent a car and rent a small Airbnb outside 20 minutes, 30 minutes outside of Park City, which is much cheaper and go with six or seven friends, sleep on the bank beds, sleep on the floor. But just go and show up to like any event that you can get into any party. There's so, a lot of stuff that you can get into like without being like a crazy. There's within Sundance, there's gatekeepers. But people like Sundance is like everybody in the industry or like a lot of people go there. And I, that's how I connected with my managers. There's two managers I have. One of them is like a, a junior up and coming. And he was there meeting filmmakers. He was drinking coffee. And, and he and I literally, by pure chance, we had somebody in common that we were talking in the same conversation. And he said like, oh, like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm a filmmaker. Just finished my first feature film, blah, blah, blah. And he, and he was like, oh, can I see it? Like, I'm a manager, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't ask him any questions. I just sent him the trailer of my movie. He saw the trailer. He loved it and said, like, we got to set up a meeting. And he set me up with his uh, like senior manager. And that's kind of, it happens super organically. Other managers that I spoke with were, actually, I met a few managers at Sundance, which is funny. Others were like somebody, a friend who's repped by this person, maybe setting, up, setting me up on a, on a meeting or emailing this person. And, and maybe there's like a few managers that we had exchanges with that my writing partner reached out to. And, and we we kind of, he sent like an email, like he wrote an email and he reached out because he's, he was more interested in representation than I was. And especially because we hit that place in our careers, we were like, okay, what's next? We have these projects. I think we are, our movie can help us get momentum but we need somebody who can help us build momentum but but it goes to this it is worth worth it to go and network because some of those people you might meet don't look for the senior manager who's representing like Ari Aster look for the guy who sees a system or look for like older people who are like more junior but look at their eyes and see if they're if they are real people like if they care about what they do and they care about this enough that they are going to do the work a lot of people are there in this industry just for the vanity of of the of the in, of being in the film industry and not necessarily they want to build anything and i think just find managers that believe in you and never forget they are working for you to build your project not the other way around so it should be a collaboration it should be somebody who is making you better who's pushing you who's gonna who believes in what you want to create and and eventually when you get to an agent and and at that level i feel that's that i mean a lot of people have agents right now and they don't necessarily need to have agents because they don't do anything like you, you need to be a like hot asset you need to be somebody who's like building momentum in a way that an agent can really work with that and like boom and like expand and like help you like get attached to certain actors or, or like so I think it's one step at a time. I'm I'm talking too much, by the way. I don't know if this is That's helpful. Great. But Perfect. But this is my my you can edit, Jeff, whatever you need to edit, please. <laughs> but this is kind of my, my philosophy. So you talked about opening doors with your managers. Can you just give it like one or two examples of the kind of doors that your managers have opened for you? Yeah. So they've sent our movie and some of our scripts that were following to a lot of people that we wouldn't have access to. And those people watch our movie and read our scripts and they met with us and they're continuing to meet with us. Obviously, the writing strike slowed things down and we're not meeting with anybody right now because we had to cancel a lot of meetings, by the way, which is super unfortunate when you're a filmmaker and you're stuck. 
starting. Yeah. But obviously everything for the better of, of the business and for a good cause. So it's like absolutely worth it. But but is that's literally it. Like the power of having somebody vouching for you, somebody who has a bigger network and who can literally just say, by the way, I'm repping these two younger filmmakers. They made this dope film. You have to see it. Here's the screener. And then like, okay, thank you for recommending it. We'll check it out. And maybe they don't watch it first. They, they show it to their intern or their or their assistant. Their assistant watches the movie and they're like, oh my God. Like, and then they, they, they're both watching. And all of a sudden, Lilian and I get a meeting. And like, we build that connection. We build a bridge. And, and it kind of like, that's all about is building connections, building bridges, building relationships. And, and it hasn't led yet to a paid gig. But it's led to a lot of people knowing who we are and it's led to like people interested in our scripts and wanting to read them and being more open to having conversations about them and like and that's already like something i've never had in my life that's amazing all right i think we have to wrap it up i could probably talk to you all day but i'll just go to the last final questions we have here what's the first film you ever made could be a short film could be your first feature could be something that you don't even have listed anywhere However you want to answer it. And how do you feel about that film now? Uh, I made a movie that is terrible. When I was in high school, I shot it in <laughs> Colombia, in the mountains of Colombia, about two high school students who go hiking in the mountain, they get lost. And it's a really, really terrible film. I wish I like, but but it's, I learned so much in the process. So so I, I feel the way I look at, at my work is every film, no matter if it's good or bad or something that you feel, it's like another step to experience and to learning more about how to make something better. So, so I mean, I, I, even though I, I hope it's nowhere in the internet, I don't want people to find it. I, I, I hope it just, I'll keep it safe and, and guarded and nobody's going to see it. But it's like my my first real film or like short film that I went with a camera to shoot my own project. And I was uh, I was 17 or 16 at the time, and I borrowed a camera and and I shot it with my friends as actors, and it was it was something I feel super proud of. But but at the same time, is proud of making and taking the risk and jumping and like doing something I had never done before. But not something proud of in the sense of like, oh, I, I it was incredible. It's great. I, I didn't do that film. <laughs> What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? If you believe in yourself, just keep investing in yourself. Like I'm not necessarily money, putting your own money, but like keep pushing. There's a lot of obstacles. But if you believe in your project, never, never slow down, never stop, just keep going. And 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 I think that I know it's kind of like cliche. I guess that's one. And the other one is my friend H. Alberto, who's a queer filmmaker, who's amazing, very talented. She told me, you have to be delusionally confident. Like you have to be sometimes delusional to believe that it's possible. And it's okay to be delusional to believe that it is because you need that kind of delusion to keep, keep you going. What's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever received? Good question. Let me think. <laughs> uh, the worst. I'd say the worst. Don't ask. That's that's a hard one, man. That's a really good one. I'm, I know this is like rapid fire. I'm just trying to think what is the worst. I think the, the worst filmmaker advice is to go or to follow the traditional way of going like, like a lot of people don't make projects like, like, like people don't make projects and they tell me to wait until I get into a grant or into if I like I'm a traditional source of funding and to like, like basically don't take too much risk with the way you are approaching the work and because it's better to just go into a more structured traditional path and like wait for you to get to a lab or you get into that and and I'm not saying they gave like bad advice sometimes it's good to be patient and to apply to the and, and not necessarily but for me is I need to move 
So I, I I don't know if that's I'm answering the question. I'm sorry. Yeah, and no, I hear you saying I I I'm I'm like one of those people who like like I applied to all the grants and all the things and I never really got anywhere. And I I kind of realized that for me and the type of movies I want to make that I, I'm not necessarily a grant person <laughs> or a film lab person. Maybe people try to tell me like oh maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, maybe my movies are. But like I think I have just much more fun and much more success just going out and making things. But no, I don't. I, I mean, I feel like I'm definitely. I'm open to those programs. I think they're really great, but they just, so far they haven't been for me. <laughs> so I understand what you're saying. <laughs> no, listen, I, I'm, I went to community college before I went to a uh, film school and, and I went and it went within film school. There were classes that I took where I applied with a project and I didn't even get the film school grant to shoot the project. So I wasn't even qualified within the film school and I still make it. I still made it. I still made it. And there's nice. a lot, there's a lot of those kids in that same class that never finished the short film that they, the school awarded them a grant to make. So it's kind of like, yeah. for me, I'm always being of like, just follow your heart and do it your way and you'll find the way. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? I think my goal is to be able to, I mean, keep doing this for as long as I can possibly do it. And, and, and in the process, keep building great relationships and great friends and, and doing it with people that I fuck with, people that I love, people that I want to be with myself around. I think that's more important than anything else. I'm not, I'm not interested. Sure. It would be nice to make a big movie or be nice to like, like make big bucks as a director. That sounds appealing. That sounds cool, but never doing it. Like, at least we'll see for now, never doing it just for the money or never doing it for the, like that. Just keep doing it because you love the process and be, and so it's more of like staying in that mindset of the pro journey is everything. And it's about doing it with the people that, that you want to work with. And, 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 and for me, as long as I can do that for the rest of my life and keep working with the, the people that I love and, and keep finding the way to make the projects. That's all I want is like, just be able to keep making movies. If you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? I would tell my, I would lie to myself in the past. I would tell myself like, whatever you set yourself, your mind to, you can accomplish. Just don't give up. Even if that's a lie or not a lie, I would go and tell that to my younger self, because then my younger self would be delusional to think that it's as hard as it is, that it's possible. And sometimes just that could fuck you up and keep you going. Like if I, if I were to tell you like, or any filmmaker, like like you you can accomplish whatever you, like you, you wanna do. If, if your future self came and say like, you can accomplish whatever you want, like with projects and you're gonna do it. You just have to not give up. That would give you a little bit of a level of comfort knowing that you're gonna be okay. Yeah. And I feel like, like the journey is so tough. And so like, there's, you never know what we're, where you're going. You never know what's going to happen. You never know even, even if you're going to be able to make your next movie so hard. But as, as long as you have that belief that you're going to be okay and, and no matter what, and you're going to keep pushing, it makes, makes it that less painful. Nice. Last question is making movies hard. Is the hardest, one of the hardest things to make because it's, you put more filmmakers put more work than like CEOs and startups. And <laughs> the reward is even like, not even, you cannot even like mention it. Like you're not going for a billion dollar company. <laughs> you're going to have like a piece of art that you hope somebody's going to see. And so making movies is one of the hardest things out there. Just because you're pursuing it with all the love and all the labor and it's so expensive sometimes and it can be really hard to pull off. And uh, most movies don't even find the light of day. So you're just making it for the love of the craft. And if you're willing to do that, then it's worth it. But it's, it's very important to know that it's so hard. Nice. 
All right, man. Last thing. Tell people where to go watch the movie. Where should, and if they want to learn about, more about you, where should they go? Do you have Instagram, Twitter? Like, what should people do? Yes. So I have I have Instagram and Twitter, which is Juan F. Zuleta, Z-U-L-E-T-A. That's my Instagram, my Twitter. And the movie Unidentified Objects right now is, is available in transactional video on demand. So you can rent it on Amazon or iTunes. And hopefully we'll keep finding a, a bigger home and keep... And hope, hopefully people can keep finding it. I, I, I hope you can watch it and enjoy it. And it's available now and everything everywhere in North America and the US. And we're in the process of, of expanding to the rest of the world. Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show! Eric, I know yeah. you missed out on our talk with Juan, but let me tell you all about it. So it was wonderful. Tell me all about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. Just for backstory, you know, Eric and I were going to do this interview together and then there was a scheduling snafu, but Juan and I talked and it was really wonderful. And it was just so great to hear about how he made this movie, like the origin of it, like why he decided to make a movie about a dwarf, which is, you know, the main character is a dwarf. And one of the things that he talked about a lot was like, you know, he's a minority filmmaker. And so like he wanted to make a movie about a minority and he thought it would be interesting to, to do, do one on a group that he's not, you know, that he's less familiar with. So he like did some research learned more about dwarves and then you know when they did casting they casted before they shot the movie like well before like like even like in the writing phase i think and so the the actor who ends up playing the lead role ended up helping with the writing in a big way and really informed like a lot of the script and like oh no it's okay to make this joke like oh no you have to include something like this because this is something i deal with in my everyday life you know like and really made it more of his own and so it sounded like they did a really good process for really trying to tell like the most authentic version of this kind of story. Mm-hmm. It's also a science fiction movie too. So it's like kind of, you know, got a, got another angle to it, which is really cool. So yeah, it just sounded like a really great project. It was amazing to hear how he, he raised the money, like the his ambition and drive to get the movie shot, like while everything was shut down during the pandemic sounded incredible. It's just a really fantastic interview. So if you haven't heard this and you're just somehow listening to this, recap without hearing the interview definitely (laughs) listen to the interview because it was very good i plan on listening to it and i am curious if you guys brought up the station agent although i assume not just because at this point it's a 20 year old movie you know i I thought it's a pretty young fella i I thought about bringing it up because he mentioned like oh there there weren't so many movies you know about dwarves and and featuring them besides Mm -hmm. then he's like besides peter dinklage like that's the only you know like famous dwarf actor actor because of game of thrones and then i was gonna be like well i'm the station agent but like he kind of like you know already kind of recognized uh, peter dinklage so i didn't feel like it was important to bring that movie up although that is a great movie actually i was lucky enough to see it in the theater back when it came out so you know also for those I, who like trains kind of cool <laughs> can i can i tell you my, my peter dinklage story real quick sure tell it i am a huge fan of the comic book watchman Nice. And so when Zack Snyder released Watchmen, I went like, I think it was Friday morning at like 1030 in the morning. I went with a couple of my buddies and we're, there's a place called the Cinerama Dome, which is a, a very uh, fancy theater here in Los Angeles. It's been around since like the 1960s. I went and sitting right next to me was Peter Dinklage. Wow. And had I been a grown up and a, a mature young person, I would have turned to him and said, Oh, excuse me, Mr. Dinklage, I'm a huge fan of the station agent. I just really enjoy your work. 
But instead I thought like, what if I cheer really loud? And then that'll like make for like a fun situation and then I'll turn to him and be like, hey, sorry man, I'm just really excited for this for this movie. And I did that and I turned to him and said, I'm really excited for this movie. And he said, calm down, dude, it's 10.30 in the morning. And I said, okay. <laughs> and we didn't talk again. And I keep hoping for a day when I run into Peter Dinklage and I can apologize for being such a dork. So if you're listening, Peter, I am sorry. <laughs> you know what? I don't think there's anything wrong about being excited in the movie theater. I'll tell you a story really quick about when I sure. met my wife. It was not, was it, we'd already met, we were already dating, but I went to a movie with her and her sister and it's Fast and the Furious 5. It's not opening weekend. It's probably like a Sunday or maybe even a Monday. And we're in the theater and they are like cheering and screaming and like so into it. And I was like, yeah, let's enjoy this movie. This is awesome. Like, you know, it was so much fun. And I'm just like, in my mind, like, it's always a good time to hoop and holler at a movie. It's never, uh, never a bad thing. So I don't know. I feel like Peter Dinklage should, uh, you know, enjoy life more. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because yeah i mean i don't know i mean i i get it but i also feel like hey opening weekend of a, sci- a science fiction superhero movie especially one as iconic as the watchman like yeah. i love seeing people yell and hoot and scream in the movie theater god that's like one of the best things i remember seeing black panther in oakland at the grand lake theater opening weekend and that place was on fire dude it was incredible yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. That's one of the thi- that's one of the joys of being in a movie theater. But I do think you were a dork for not just being <laughs> <laughs> That I is that is 100% work. correct. He probably yes. would have he probably would have been like calm down dude, it's 10:30 in the morning. No matter what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no matter what I'd have said to him, it would have been like chill out dude. Chill Come out. On. Dude. It's we're cool. here to watch a it's movie. Cool. We're here to watch this movie. <laughs> like he probably <laughs> went at 10:30 in the morning cuz he thought no one would be there and he'd be like, you know, all chilled. Anyways, good story. Thanks buddy. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you know what other, what other thing makes for a good story is a round of the game. Yeah! So, for those who don't know, the game is something that Eric invented for the show. And, you know, Eric hasn't really been doing um, segments or interviews on the show for very long. Like, this is kind of a new thing, which I really love. But it's really cool that he gets to participate in his own invention. So, <laughs> the game is basically a game where you we come up with, like, a indie film quandary, a, a challenge, a question, a situation, a scenario even, and uh, basically challenge each other to figure out, like, what would we do in that scenario? These are written, you know, usually by Eric and like, you know, Liz and I read them to each other blind. You know, there's, there's no pre-reading. But in this case, since Eric's on the show, I wrote this question for Eric and he has not heard it. He is not doesn't know anything about it. And he's going to answer it right now on the show live. So here we go. You are three weeks into your four week shoot for your indie action film and your lead actor injures, injures themselves doing an amazing stunt. It ends up that they break two of their toes, but are still able to walk with a boot and a crutch, but they can't do any physical stunts, and they have to have a boot on for the rest of the movie. You have a big action set piece still to shoot that goes in the middle of the movie, but you've gotten your action sequences for the opening and the end already shot. 
This means that the middle action sequence and part of the movie will break continuity for any running, standing, or the action set piece, and the action set piece won't be able to shot the way that it was written with your lead actor. So, do you A, come up with a reason why the lead actor star is not a main participant in the action sequence, put them behind the wheel of a car for the whole time, or put them behind a desk and whatever, lead the team through an intercom, something like that. B, try to postpone the last week of filming for two months to reshoot with the actor, risking the last week of footage and incurring whatever additional fees that will you know incur potentially pissing off your producers investors and putting the movie in peril c come up with a reason why the lead is absent from this part of the movie and have another character take up the role he was going to play in that sequence d alter the scene significantly so the actor can still do any everything in the scene but risk having the middle sequence lack the punch that is needed for the middle of an action film e other what do you do director what do you do the first thing, the, the, the movies that came to mind for me was Jackie Chan films. And I was thinking of Rumble in the Bronx, where he very famously, he had to leap from a pylon onto a moving ferry. And he, I don't know if he broke his ankle, but he messed up his ankle to the point where he had to wear a cast. And they made a, a spandex sock that would go over the cast so it looked like his shoe. So then that way, of course, it's Jackie Chan. So of course, he's still running on it and stuff like that. He's crazy. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of also Die Hard. Die Hard is one of my favorite movies. I feel like it's, it's a staple in the for all time for action movies. And one of the reasons why it has so many like really rich, diverse characters is that the main character, which is uh, uh, I want to say John McClane, but it's uh, Bruce. What's his last name? For God's sakes, Willis. Bruce Willis. Uh, Jeff, please edit that so I don't. Bruce, sound for idiot. God's sakes, uh, Willis. That's his. <laughs> Bruce, for God's sakes, Willis. He was shooting uh, moonlighting during the day, so he really couldn't be on set as much as night. So they really fleshed out a bunch of the other characters, and I think specifically you had said that you had the action sequence in the beginning done, and you have the action sequence at the end done. So that means our main character has two really good times to shine. I do wonder if you have an action set piece in the middle, if you can pick another character and really make them shine. So then that, that way you're now taking a character that maybe had taken a bit of a backseat or had been a co-star and really give them something kind of an awesome, something to do in the middle. So then that way your main character is still helping in some way, but they're kind of riding shotgun. Because you're still going to get them at the very end of the movie, you know, doing something rad or, you know, jumping off the building or whatever it is that set piece happens to be at the very end. But that's what I would kind of look to do. I would look to elevate another one of the characters to do something surprising and unexpected as far as my my decision to go. Yeah, that's great. What about you? What 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 would you do? Pretty much the same thing. You know, yeah. find, a, find a role for the lead actor in the sequence that doesn't require action. So, like, if they're behind the desk or they're on the intercom or they're, you know, chilling out the helicopter, you know, like, calling the shots, like, whatever it is, like, give them something like that. And then take another character that, like, you know, could use some love, use some excitement and give them the big middle mm-hmm. sequence. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, I, that's it's... I, I think that a lot of times in a, I, I've been rewatching some action films from the 80s and I think of Arnold Schwarzenegger's best films are usually his ensemble films because mm. if you watch him in Commando 
He's in, he's killing people all the time and he's shooting people and stuff. But like his best film, I think, is Predator, where it's him and a team of guys. And so you get to meet each one of these team members and you get to see them do something kind of cool or awesome. So and I think that has really translated as well. It's gone on. It's like whoever the action star is, like the Fast and the Furious, one of the reasons why I feel like they're so successful is that, you know, it's not just Vin Diesel who's, you know, who's always behind the, the, the in the driver's seat. It's multiple characters that you're meeting all of these different times and so I think action scenes with the same character over and over can get kind of stale and so if you have a new character or all of a sudden do something outrageous you know or do something surprising that could be it could be a, a real a boon to your movie yeah totally agreed also running man is another one of his greatest movies where there's also a nice ensemble cast of people who are trying to kill him That's which right. is really fun yeah. awesome well i'd love to hear what people think do you agree do you disagree do you think that uh, eric and i got this right are we way off base let us know what you think and you can also send us questions comments or suggestions to podcast at making movies is hard.com or if you like the show you can just leave us a review on itunes which we love we love the review on itunes and finally, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Check out the International Screenwriters Association. The ISA is an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and their top 25 lists featuring some of the best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up free today. Thanks to Juan Felipe Zuleta for coming on the show. Thanks to Owen Wilson for recommending Juan to us through Instagram. Amazing. Thank you, Owen. Thanks to Marsha Leonov for setting up the interview. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Reimut, for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert Jones for handling all our social media. And thanks to our wonderful, wonderful, amazing producer, Eric Toms, for just simply being awesome. Thanks you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. <laughs> no, I know. Stiggles. Stiggles. I like Stiggles. I like Stiggles better. I think we should just change it to Stiggles. Jeff, cut and restart. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.